Ladies and gentlemen, please stay seated for the five-star podcast on Three Red Kings. Introducing your host, the Eggman, the cult leader of the Secret Club, and the best in the world, Tom Savage. Hello and welcome to uh, a special five-star podcast that is officially uh, five days late. Um, I have just gotten a mic, not my actual mic, but a mic that will do for the recording of this podcast. So... Let's try and think back to what I remember of that game. I, I, actually, I actually have watched the game back today before doing this. So, look, on the face of it, a really, really good win for Ireland. Um, without necessarily playing all that well, um, there was a fair bit done on, you know, Ireland not functioning properly and, and, and looking a little bit off in a way that they haven't done uh, in, in the previous games. To me, that's kind of neither here nor there. I've got a few questions as well uh, in the in intervening days uh, about the game. I'll, I'll include them in this as well. So just a few of the, the headline uh, stats from the game, just to get you uh, off on a proper start here. 54% uh, possession for Ireland. Uh, from an attacking perspective, Ireland attacked for 23.3 minutes. Um, Wales attacked for 19.6 minutes. That's a huge ball in playtime. That was one of the big factors uh, in this game when I was looking back at it is how often Wales kept that ball on the field. And I think there was, there was two reasons for that. On the one hand, they wanted to make sure that Ireland weren't launching off the, the line-out too often. Uh, I think one look at Ireland's stats this year, so many tries with the, the line-out as the route, would tell you that that's probably not a good idea to be giving Ireland too many line-outs. So... They went that route. Um, and then, I think a large part of it was them wanting to keep Ireland playing for long factors as well. Wales and Warren Gatland have done this before where they have backed their fitness to show up against what is a bigger, more physical team. I mean, I think we, we look at Ireland sometimes, and I know I do this, where I get trapped into this idea that Ireland are the smaller team uh, physically against who they might be playing. That's a holdover from the 2000s. That is not the case anymore. Ireland are a big, physically imposing team. And Wales, you know, inexperienced, a whole ton of new guys who were coming in there, starting off their, their career in, in, uh, in, in, in test rugby. And again, there were, there were guys who were playing for Wales now who maybe won't be playing for them in a few years. And there were guys who are not in the Wales squad right now who will be core players for them in a few years. They're a, they're a mile away from where they're going to be as a group. But what they brought to this game was a really tough defense, a lot of fitness because they were right there themselves. As in, yeah, look, it, it they ran out of legs at the end of the game, sure. But for large stretches of that game, they were putting Ireland right up to it. And I think that's a, a credit to the team, really. And, and, and that Welsh side who took a fair number of pelters on the coverage that I was watching, like <laughs> they were getting really criticized by the uh, the RTE, I think it was, um, uh, pundits and to be honest look part of it was that they didn't play um massive amounts of possession um and I, we weren't really expecting them to and Ireland as well are kind of transitioning over to a um on ball game 
they're moving from a counter transition team into that on ball range i'll get to that as well in a minute but i wouldn't look at wales and how underdeveloped their attack looked when that when they had to play in structure because it was it was fairly basic but i wouldn't look at that and say that that's all what this welsh team are capable of i think they're more than capable of of becoming a, a pretty good attacking team down the line but they're at the bare building blocks of what they're going to be in two years time even next season i think they're going to be a better more physical team and, and will put up a, a much bigger challenge i would imagine the next time that ireland play them um, but that's kind of what this Six Nations has been, really, for the most part. It's been Ireland playing a bunch of teams who are either fatally flawed at the moment, in, in France's case, or in the midst of a massive rebuild. Um, and, and again, I, w- I would look at Italy as being a team that is better than they looked against Ireland, as I think they showed against France. But I think that's more to do with France than what it is um, Ireland, if that makes sense. Um, and then you look at England, who we're playing next week, who are in the middle of a big rebuild as well. Not just from a personnel perspective, but certainly structurally. Um, Scotland are probably the team, you know, outside of Ireland, who are the most complete at the moment. Um, who look like they are, you know, building on what they know works and looking to try to layer on different things. Like this Ireland team, which I think is a bit of a surprise, really, because I think you could look at this Ireland team and say before the six nations that there's massive questions there like is in how how will the 10 jersey go for example like jack crowley seemed to be the guy before the six nations would that actually be the case and how would the team adapt around him the reality is ireland have adapted really quickly to what jack crowley brings at 10 and the game plan seems to be changing around him as well which is unique because when we look at at leinster which are like they are still the the template for this Irish team. They're playing now a different game from what Ireland are playing at Six Nations level. But the good thing for Ireland is is that there hasn't been a whole ton of, you know, jankiness. We'll say while um, Leinster are getting, are, you know, while the, while the Leinster group we'll say who make up the majority of the team are kind of adapting over to playing more phases. To playing with a little bit more inefficiency in, in their phase play that hasn't been a big issue for them and they've, they've managed to bring as well some of the really aggressive defensive stuff that they're playing at Leinster into the Ireland bubble as well now so like that in itself shows that there's really adaptable players there but it also shows that Ireland look to be building around what Jack Crowley brings as a 10 quite quickly and that is also like pretty impressive when you consider that like this time last year, he was not making match day twenty threes. Um, so that in itself is it. It shows you how quickly that change has happened, and it also shows you that Andy Farrell and you know Mike Hat. I mean, it, my, 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 Mike Hat is in the last stretch. We'll say of his of his uh, time in charge. It'll be Andrew Goodman taking over. I think I'm not sure if it's for the South African tour. Maybe it's after. But for now, it seems. Ireland are a team who are kicking the ball less and who are looking to try to play more phases, more passes and break team like break teams down in a way that is more similar to what Munster are doing than what it is Leinster typically. Because over the last few years, it has been um, Ireland playing counter-transition rugby. I did the numbers on this for the Wally ratings. 
you go back to you know over the last 12 months the only game where Ireland played over eight passes per kick was against France in the the game in the Aviva last year which again was a bit of an aberration but I'll get back to that in a minute then there's the New Zealand quarterfinal that we lost which we were basically playing you know trucking it up for the last five minutes of that game trying to win it most of those other games especially when Ireland played really well were played in that five or six pass per kick range which that doesn't it, it doesn't cover every single kick like some of those kicks are grubbers some of those kicks are cross field kicks but it gives you a good illustration as to how often Ireland are kicking the ball relative to how often they're passing it in this six nations Ireland are at eight passes per kick on average which is a big change like those two extra passes really per kick that's a lot <laughs> that doesn't sound like a lot but when you work that out on average, it is an awful lot. And some of that has been, like against France, we played a slightly more kick-focused game. Against Italy and against Wales, we were very comfortable holding onto the ball for long sequences. And they weren't, sometimes that can be buffed by a long sequence inside the five-meter line. If you're trucking the ball up, you know, time after time after time, like that, like that's one pass and one carry, one pass and one carry. Ireland's pass-per-carry ratio has gone up as well. So, like, Ireland are playing a really expansive and, I suppose you could say, attractive style of rugby at the moment. And that is, um, I suppose, a, a, a ch- not that Ireland were unattractive with the rugby that we were playing last year, but it is a change. And it is notable how Ireland have changed in, in, a, in, in that aspect. So, just another quick look here. As the, oh, uh, by the way, when you look at the kicking, right... Ireland kicked 26 times for 747 metres, right? Which is not a lot, relatively speaking. We've seen Ireland kick a lot more by volume and a lot further um, in metres. Wales were kind of the same. 22 kicks in play um, for 743 metres. Um, Ireland had 12 long kicks, as in exits that went over 25 metres, and uh, 14 short tactical kicks. Um Wales had 12 of those and they had 10 long exits. Now, as I wrote in the start of the Wally ratings, Wales did not play exactly as I expected them to. Part of that was, I think they wanted to avoid the scrum. Um, Wales in the previous two games had kicked really short and really contestedly. In this game, for by, by their previous standards, they kicked the ball a lot further, relatively speaking, per kick. Now, some of that came back to the fact that Ireland controlled the engagement of where the game was played at all times. Um, Ireland's control of that game was was complete. Um, lost it for a bit at the start of the second half, but that's more to do with indiscipline, which is a problem with this Irish team in a way that it wasn't previously. But I think we're playing with a lot more aggression, so as a result, more penalties will, will uh, present themselves. But when I look at... Um, how Ireland managed to prevent that Wales game. Like, there was two sides of it. The very first kick that Wales did, they kicked very, very long. And, like, you would expect, like, one of the biggest things that Wales do is they kick contestably off 10, where they kick to the corner, like, not, not to the corner, but to the edge of the play. It felt that Kieran Frawley starting at 15 was an opportunity for them to get into the game. 
but they never really got an opportunity to target him. Not really. Um, part of that came down to um, Jack Crowley covering really well in traditional fullback spots. Um, but with Wales, I think they look back and go, we left opportunities to win fairly cheap turnovers by pressuring a rookie fullback at this level. We just didn't test them enough. And that's a small part of the game. And, and sometimes you can kind of get a little bit lost in the weeds on or just throw up high bombs on the new fullback all day long as if they'll knock on every single one of them. That's not the case. But as we saw in that first half, even if they had done that and won you know, two or three extra scrums, there's nothing to say that they would have completed them at all. Um, their scrummaging up against Ireland was was fairly weak. Um, I look at their... Uh, I suppose, and, and look, some, some, of the, some of the scrummages, you could easily have seen the penalty being awarded the other way. Um, it felt that PRD was re- rewarding the team going forward. That was Ireland for the most part. Um, yeah, there, there was a few angular, <laughs> I, I, you know, bore uh, in from uh, from Porter, but but also from from um, Furlong. It didn't matter. Um, I, I think that for the most part, and one thing that was really funny is that if you go back and look at this game, you'd have seen the clips of Peter Romani. Um, lightly kind of prodding Andrew Porter's elbow to stay up stay up I've been talking for the last two years on this platform that elbow up is what you need to do when you're scrummaging elbow down means a penalty and I think I said that on 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 Twitter there recently as well there are a lot of people were kind of going no it's look look BJ both have said this and Mike Ross said that and it just turns out, look, if you keep your elbow up, you won't get penalised. Ireland worked it out by basically just having Peter Romani go, no, no, elbow is down, elbow needs to be up. And the penalties disappeared. <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, look, with the scrum sometimes, look, it often does come down to the referee's interpretation. Like, Actually, often, it always comes down to the referee's interpretation. I think that in this game... Uh, Wales were going backwards on their loose head side. They couldn't really impact um, Ty Furlong at all, uh, unbalance him even slightly. Um, but again, they were, you wouldn't really expect them to either, do you know? Like, you're looking at uh, Kieran Aserati, um tried to go low and long on, on Porter, but he's not big enough. He's not strong enough to, to do that with Andrew Porter. So he just ended up losing those engagements because... Andrew Porter only gets in trouble with the scrum with a certain profile of tight head. Fellas who are heavyweights, as in 125 coming up on 130 kg, and who are tall and long. Those guys can outdo Porter when it comes to just the leverage that he's able to to put in. And then as a result, he ends up having to pull them down, elbow goes down, penalty. Sometimes, depending on the referee. When it's somebody like, you know, Kieran Aserati, who's like, he's a good pro. Physically, he has nothing for Andrew Porter. Absolutely nothing. And Porter destroyed him. Absolutely destroyed him. And, like, Andrew Porter will do that. A lot of the questions over Andrew Porter scrummaging, and, and, and people have misunderstood me on this, I think, is that there's only a certain type of tight head that causes him trouble on the loose head side. And if you are not one of those tight heads, and like I said, there's a certain profile. If you're not one of those guys, he will just fucking eat you up. 
and that's that. And I've seen guys who are supposedly like good technicians in the scrum try to get at Andrew Porter, and it's just like <laughs> you can't touch that guy. If you don't have the the overwhelming physicality to keep him locked out of the game on somewhat of an even contest, you're done. He will just fucking lift you and you're gone. And that's what happened with Blasserati here. He got destroyed by Andrew Porter in that first half. Um, and you could say, oh, look, he was coming in at an angle and subbing him. Every loose head does that. Like, every loose head is looking to try and bore in at an angle at some stage. Um, I won't say every single one on every single scrum, but most loose heads on most scrums are looking to try and angle in somewhere. And if you haven't got the power to lock Porter out of that initial engage, he'll do what he wants with you. <laughs> And he did that with Kieran Aserati. And I think part of the reason, I mean, you go back and watch Wales in those previous two games, they had awful trouble in the scrum in those two. On their own put-in as well, actually, more so. Um, and that kind of, like, maybe that came into their thinking, that they didn't necessarily want to be engaging in so much scrummaging, not because they were overly afraid of Ireland's scrummaging unit, although given how the game turned out, they probably had reason to. But just looking at their own scrummaging, like they're missing top end talent there at the moment. Um, and I think that's like the experience they've lost there, even in the last couple of years. Like, was it Tomas Francis retired? He gave Andrew Porter a torrid time, I think it was two years ago. Because um, again, he fits the profile. He's a super heavyweight tight head. Um, and, and that's the when you're rebuilding, you will have games like that where your scrum looks like, looks like shit. And it did here. Um, but that kind of. I think that it said to them, maybe we should kick a bit longer. You know, I was just thinking there, like, as in, would that have been a big factor? I mean, it probably would have been a factor in it, where if they thought to them, because when you decide to kick contestably, you understand that that comes with four or five more scrums, because there'll be knock-ons, and if that hits somebody else, it's going to be a scrum, either yours or theirs. And if you haven't got a scrum that you feel confident in, you can't play a shorter kicking game. Like um, South Africa, for example, they kick predominantly off nine. They still do. Reason being is that if that goes to a scrum, they'll be happy scrummaging with anybody. They don't really give a shit whether it's their put in or your put in. Um, that will be big trouble for whoever. And they don't really mind playing that game. So that's something where I think that from the Springboks point of view, they can transition over to on-ball rugby pretty easily because of that. But when you're Wales, um, you don't have a massive scrummaging unit. They look, it looked to me like they decided we will just kick long and on. We will try and pin them in their half of the field. We will look to try and get at them at those transition breakdowns, which they tried. But Ireland had a really good breakdown unit on the field. They were like they basically prevented Tommy Rafael from getting any sort of purchase um, in, in that game at all at the breakdown. And when you have that, it's a case of taking your chances, and Ireland did that um, eventually. But like part of the reason why, you know, again, we're going to just jump into my, 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 my ratings here for this game. Um, part of the reason why I was so down on the Frawley and Crowley axis was to do with Ireland's shape. Because, um, again, when I watched the game back there before, before recording this, I don't know, it just felt that the flow of possession wasn't what we're typically used to. Like, Ireland are a system team. 
right? Now, are they slowly changing the fuel that that system runs on? Because for me, I look at your kicking and your passing and your tendencies there. That's the fuel of your system. Different systems run on different fuel. And when I look at what Ireland are doing, we're changing up how much we're kicking and, and, and uh, we're increasing our passes, our, our short passes are, are through the roof. We're changing how often we kick, slightly less. As a result, that's, that changes how you play the game. When you move to an on-ball system, for me, the shape your forward pods take is very important because that is how you basically move the ball across the pitch. Your forwards, and like Ireland do this a lot. You will see, if you watch Ireland at the moment, you'll see that sort of inside screen pass from the, the pod of two because Ireland are still playing a 3-2-X, which is, um, and sometimes that'll be a 1-3-2-1, or it'll be a 3-2-2, or whatever. That's why I say 3-2-X, because that X can be anywhere, right? Um, the pot of three, they win your collisions. Your Andrew Porter plays there a lot, your Tyke Furlongs, and Tyke Furlong actually has reinvented himself as a massive ball uh, uh, clean-out guy at the Rock. Um, and when you look at like the system that Ireland are playing when you're passing the ball more and kicking the ball less that two pod as in the pod we'll say that that will run outside your 10 that leaves you a little bit more exposed to blitzing defenses and your your passing and your your rock support off 10 that becomes very important and like and, and very important by the fact that it's vulnerable there because you have less forwards to clean out. That means, typically, when Hugo Keenan plays there, he will often be cleaning out in that three-quarter space. I'm calling it the three-quarter space because if you look at the pitch from, we'd say, the posts, you're looking at it down the posts, that spot off 10 that's behind that pot of two is roughly around three-quarters away across the pitch. And that's a really important zone at the moment for attacking rugby. You will see midfielders there, you know, like because they might be running on a screen in that three-quarter space. Ireland certainly do that as well. But there's a lot of collisions happen there. And there's lots of rocks happen there, especially when you're Ireland and you pass the ball a lot. Ireland passed the ball off 10 more than any other team in the Six Nations. So that three-quarter zone is very, very important. Who you have there and... What happens there typically, that will inform a lot of your your style and, and how you look. Ireland have looked really good this season so far with Hugo Keenan at fullback because Hugo Keenan in that three-quarter space gives you two things. A strike runner and a breakdown offensive rock work machine in Hugo Keenan. Hugo Keenan's offensive rock work is always through the roof. And a lot of those rock involvements are in that three-quarter space. So when you take the profile of Hugo Keenan out of that and you put in Kieran Frawley, who's a different type of player, like Kieran Frawley did not have massive rock work numbers in this game. He had a whole ton of passes, though. And if you watch um, Hugo Keenan, he is rarely in the top 10 passers for Ireland. He will step in at first receiver, of course, and he will do that throughout, you know, in, in, in different parts of different games. But it's not a regular thing. In this game, it became quite a regular thing. And 
as a result, Ireland's system looked a little bit janky. I will say as well, if you look at Ireland's forwards at the moment, we aren't playing an edge forward a lot of the time. When there is an edge forward, it's Dan Sheehan. And a lot of the time, that'll be off, we'll say, second or third phase on set piece where he will basically stay on the, the touchline where he threw in the lineout. But when you're playing narrower like that, your ability to cover rocks on the edge spaces and not just prevent it from being stolen, but to make sure that you get a kind of a clean procession of possession. That was a tough one to say. If you can get a procession of possession, you can then start stretching teams. What you don't want is untidy ball on the edges when you so when you come back across the defense, the opposition defense is, is set, and then you end up slinging the ball across the field and you're waiting for them to make a mistake which against the really good teams won't come they'll just either push you out or you'll be too stretched in your attacking lines which means you're passing a bit further which as long as the ball is in the air the defense is advancing you end up losing ground and getting et up that's why i think this system that ireland are playing you cannot be a stand and sling 10 if you're going to be playing you know eight passes on average per kick you cannot be a fellow who takes the ball static and just ships it on to uh, a pod of, of forwards or whatever else because you'll just just go sideways across the field. The defence will just march you back. Ireland can't have that in, in, uh, in the system. It looks like we're going to. But with the second playmaker there, who was a distinct second playmaker, I felt that it interrupted the flow of what Ireland were doing. So... On the face of it, it looks like, well, Kieran Frawley is stepping in there and he's passing the ball. That's a good thing. He scored a try as well, but anybody could have scored that try. Okay? My point was, and is, that watching it back, because our forwards are stacked so narrow, it felt like having two playmakers there without that edge forward presence meant that Ireland were a little bit too narrow in attack. So... Like we, and, and that works for Ireland and that we like to get our, our short passes like kind of, you know, you know, bip, 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 bip. Like we don't, if you look at our pass meters, we have a really high number of pass meters, but that's not because we're slinging the ball. Some, so, some, you would see that the odd time. But most of the time, that is a really short pass around five meters in length, between five and ten mostly. That's where Ireland operates. Ireland play slightly longer off nine and then shorter off ten. And that's the system. But you have to be narrow to make sure that there's always a, a relatively short pass option, you know, around five meters away from you, roughly. Roughly, on average, it's around seven or eight meters, right? So with that, you have to be narrow. But when you are narrow, you kind of have to be in a position then where you can stretch when needs be. So you've got to have that pace and I think that you've got to have that that strike running option in that three quarter space to make the most of it. Because if you look at one of the one of the really good things that Hugo Keenan does is he offers you a really fast um, hit up option in that area of the field. And you look at that line break that um, uh, you know where Jack Crowley, you know that he was not looking at Hugo Keenan and then just like dips the ball off to him. That three-quarter space line is very important. Now, that didn't happen in this game because what was happening was is that um, Crowley was hitting Frawley in that space 
and then Frawley was passing the ball on a little bit further. So it felt that we needed somebody to hit that line there rather than to pass slightly beyond it. And what that brought was the defence, instead of catching them in the three-quarter space, it allowed them time to advance over to basically follow the ball where we put it and make it slightly difficult for us to engineer the sort of line breaks that we had been doing in the previous two games. And again, look, it, it all comes down to structure. And I think that Kieran Frawley is a good player. And I think that he absolutely can work as an auxiliary fullback, but he needs to change up certain aspects of how he runs there in the system as it currently stands. Maybe in future, if Ireland start using a 3-3-1 shape, you absolutely do need a creative player at fullback or in midfield. But when it's a 3-2-X, I think for me, if your fullback is going to be somebody who's going to be playing on that edge space, they have to be a strike runner rather than a playmaker because you'll need somebody to run the lines outside there. And I think that if you look at Jack Crowley's carrying numbers in this game, which were ridiculously high, that's in part because he ended up playing the fullback role as the game progressed. Um, So he was carrying the ball more on on those edge spaces. His offensive breakdown work went up through the roof. So he was actually playing the Hugo Keenan role as it went on while Kieran Frawley was, you know, moving the ball on. And, and for me, there was a little bit too much step and sling there in, in, in those core, you know, progressions where we're not seeing too much in the way of, of the, the penetration to build compressions. We weren't, I wasn't seeing that. So, like, if Hugo Keenan is out next week, 100% start Kieran Frawley at fullback. Um but I do think that there needs to be a tweak there in his role or in what himself and Crowley are doing because I felt that the system that Ireland are running, it needs to have somebody with, it does not have to be Jack Crowley, but it has to be somebody with Jack Crowley's qualities if you're going to be passing the ball this much and kicking the ball less frequently. You're going to need somebody who can challenge the gain line who can compress defenders and then like pass out of those compressions. Like Part of the reason, if you go back and watch Jack Crowley in this game, because I have an article coming on us ahead of next week, because I'm in monster mode now uh, for the game on, on, on Friday night. Um, if you are watching Jack Crowley, you will see how much time he's investing in feints. Um, his ability to sell a pass to the wrong guy and then hit the other target really late he is working on that and it's really like it's it's a massive part of his game now where he's fainting kicks because he understands what the opposition are looking at he understands they're looking at him and thinking well we're going to read his body language what does he look like when he's kicking jack crowley knows what he looks like when he when he's kicking so he shows him a little bit of that to engineer a response um he's also really like investing time in what do i look like when i'm passing across the line and one of the passes in this game where it didn't go to hand. It, if, it, if it had gone to Calvin Nash, there would have been a line break at least, we'd say. The reason why the pass was missed, in my opinion, was because he was selling really late that he was actually passing the ball to, I think it was Caelan Doris. And incredibly late, we're talking about half a heartbeat here, he changes the direction of the pass and puts it back into the screen really late without necessarily checking his target. He was expecting the runner to be there. 
the pass was slightly inaccurate. It ended up bouncing back. It, it, it Ireland retained the ball, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the exact play as as they would have as he would have you know visualized it. But that's because he is investing that time in making himself impervious to video analysis. Because you'll often look at, at different tens, and the guys who last are the fellas who understand that they're going to be pieced up in the video room, and that if they can't project a blank space to the teams who are analysing them, where when that guy has the ball, everything he does could be something else. If he looks like he's passing, that could be a little grubber through. If it looks like he's kicking to the crossfield kick, that could also just be a tip on pass or a carry himself. Like one of the biggest things about Jack Crowley is, and one of the best things I think that I've seen him be, like he has been in the, the team of the week for uh, Mid-Olympique twice now, which is massive for a young 10. Like this is his first Six Nations as a starter. Um, part of the reason why is because he's such an athlete himself. Like his pace, his power, his acceleration, you can't step off him. Like you can't give him the outside or you can't let him, like you can't drift and give him the inside either because he'll take that space and he will break through and teams can see that and not only that he's quick but he's strong and durable as well so like he takes medicine during the games for sure but he's standing up to it so far and it's been a really impressive part of of his game and uh, in this game for example one of the big work-ons that was given to him was his goal kicking he needed to improve he was flawless off the tee here um, and sometimes I think that it can be a bit disingenuous when you see the criticism of a guy based on one game. Like, what was it, your man fucking Matt Williams was talking about, oh, you know, you, can't, you won't win a World Cup if you're kind of an under 85% kicker based on one game <laughs> against Italy. Like, man, you, like, it's just, it's just it, it is weird. But I do think that, like, Irish, the Irish media bubble will say, just doesn't know how to handle a new 10 who isn't Johnny Sexton and isn't even a Leinster player, really. I do, I do think that there is part of that as well. Um, so some of the criticism or talking points that have been around Jack Crowley have been fairly dumb, to be honest. But, yeah, look, I think, I think it is what it is. Just to go over my ratings for the game. Um, in the front row, I gave four stars to all three starters, Andrew Porter, Dan Sheehan and Ty Furlong. Um, Dan Sheehan is the best hooker in the world at the moment. He looks on a different planet, actually, to the guys who might be uh, challenging him for that title. Uh, Malcolm Marks is injured at the moment. Uh, Bongi and Molambi is coming back from injury. The French hookers at the moment look all over the place, um, which sounds like something you might see in a French newspaper. Um, you look at England and you go Jamie George as captain there, but obviously is in the same calibre of athlete as Dan Sheehan is. And I don't see anybody at the moment who is anywhere close to Dan Sheehan. Uh, his line-out throwing is perfect. <laughs> perfect. I will say that the, the line-out issues that Ireland had in this game came from us going to the tail again and a few sloppy line-out lifts. In the first case from Joe McCarthy, second case from Peter O'Mahony uh, to the tail, which kind of blew those... those. But the throw, like, the throw was fine. Nothing wrong with the throw. Like... The spin dynamics, which is a wankery term I know, that Dan Sheehan gets on that ball, the unbelievable, the efficiency. Like, he loses so little speed in the ball to air or wind or whatever else because that, that shape in the ball that he gets is just so, like, 
that's unbelievable. Uh, great player. Um, and Andrew Porter had a great game here again. Like his work around the field is always without question. Scrummaging destroyed his man. Tyke Furlong, great game. Uh, scrummage really well. Around the breakdown, like you look at Tyke Furlong, he's not the, the fellow who's uh, going to be winning those party time collisions like he was against Brody Retallick in that uh, game against the All Blacks in DV the Stadium a few years ago. But that explosivity is now at the breakdown where he is smashing guys there and he's really really good in that aspect of the game um on the bench for ireland in that spot you had uh ronan kelleher uh keen healy and ollie Ager. i give all of them four stars as well they all did really well for the second half of that game um kelleher was a different he's a different type of player to dan sheen at this stage not as good of a line out thrower but around the field like is in just his work in the tight around the breakdown very very physical like big physical player um keen healy as well when he came on showed up pretty much constantly he was all over the place um and then you have Adi Yeager making his debut before the game there was a weird kind of subsect of people who have plainly not not seen Adi Yeager playing for for Munster in the last couple of months who had worries over his scrummaging uh, to be honest I, I I just didn't see what they were seeing there but like his scrummaging was absolutely fine in this game as well. Um, he was doing so without uh, the tight head lock behind him in Joe McCarthy. Um, but you look at, at Ollie Yeager, look, he looked absolutely at home at that level. Like There was no question about it. His breakdown work was really quick. His defensive work was good. Um, like A big powerful guy made some big powerful stops in defense as well. I, I, I had no doubt he would do that. I had no doubt about it. Uh, second row, I thought Joe McCarthy had an okay game. Carrying-wise, he had one really big, good one, and that was important. That was the one that he needed. Um, but I didn't feel that he had like a kind of a, an all-star game. His breakdown work was better, certainly, than what it was against Italy. Um, but yeah, he's still learning at this level. So I wouldn't be looking at him and going, oh, well, you know, he, he's a guy who starts for me every single time. If we're going to be playing more passes per kick, we need a power forward in the team, and that's Joe McCarthy. He is the only guy in that squad right now who gives you that profile. Ian Henderson gives you a little bit of it, um, but yeah, really, I was in like not the not an all star game from from Joe McCarthy, but effective in what he needed to do. He had one really good carry when he needed it. He did get chopped down a few times, but that's going to happen. If you're a primary ball carrier, you're going to get treatment from the opposition, and some days you're not going to be rampaging over the game line every single time. He got over the gain line really well once or twice here, and that was exactly all he needed to do. Um, yeah, small bits and pieces he needs to fix up, I think. But other than that, that's a looking like a fella who'll be a feature in Ireland starting uh, 15s for a number of years to come, up until either he starts to wear out from the ball-carrying load or whatever. But there's a really good player there, I think. Uh, Ty Byrne, another very smooth game, because that is simply what he does. He is a smooth guy, <laughs> is Tyg Byrne. And uh, look again, look, massive work rate. He is that swing lock that will give you a lot of ball carrying, but a lot of offensive rock work as well, um, with massive output at the line out. Uh, he's a guy who just, he makes a lot in that front five tick, but also in that back five. A hugely important player there who gives you a little bit of both. I think at this stage, He's not a guy who could play the six role for, for either Ireland or for Munster just because of the different requirements that are there. But 
a vital player. Like he's arguably gotten to the point where he's our most important lock forward at this stage from a, a quality perspective. While Joe McCarthy is probably our most important from a kind of a game plan perspective in that we need that power forward there and we don't have it if Joe McCarthy isn't playing. And that's why on the bench, I rated um, James Ryan as, as a, just a regular three-star performance, even though he got that, that yellow card. He was okay. And it's not that the, that the game was dead when he came on. I just feel at the moment with James Ryan that he doesn't know who he is as a, a role type. It just feels that he's kind of caught in between two spots at the moment where he's not as accurate and as, we'll say, omnipresent around the place in all facets of the game that James, or that Ty Byrne is. But he's also not as physical as what Joe McCarthy is. So he's not that power forward. He's not really a swing lock either. And he's in that spot now where if we're not kicking the ball as often, which means that we're not defending as much, I find his role is kind of, it's 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 losing focus. So, like, James Ryan, is a, for me, is a world-class defender. I think he's absolutely outstanding in the defensive line-out and in, if there was a, a lock in that squad who I wanted defending from a tackle perspective, a 12 or 13 phase set from the opposition, probably be James Ryan. Um, just on a, from a tackling perspective. But, if... Ireland are moving to a game where we're kicking the ball less, which means that we're, in an ideal world, defending less. What does that say for, for James Ryan going forward? That would be my question. Um, I thought he was fine. Like there was, I saw some you know, other reviews talking about how he was outstanding off the bench. Yep, see, look, he wasn't. He just, he just wasn't. He's not a massive ball carrier anymore. His offensive ruck work is not high level. So something needs, something needs to change there. Ryan Baird as well at a at a good game, really good break as well. Uh, on the back row, um, I rated Omani as three stars, Van der Fleer as three stars, and I gave Kellen Doris five stars because his offensive ruck work was off the charts again. Um, and just his his effectiveness with the ball in hand was really good as well. He's a top top player. Um, I do think in the long run, I think that um Ireland will look to use him in the back row alongside two others who might be more powerful players than he is. And not that he's not powerful, but he is not a sort of a power forward type player in the back five. I think that if Ireland continue on this path, they will need a power forward in the back row as well. That's not Caelan Doris. But what he does bring is that he can do all three of the roles that they currently have in that back row. I thought Omani and Van der Fleer were quiet enough. They had decent offensive rock work numbers, but... Again, I felt that as this Six Nations is progressing, I feel that we need a different type of option in that back row. And maybe, look, maybe it's Ryan Baird. Ryan Baird had a good game. I, I would look at it and go, like, if Ryan Baird had started, I think I could see him probably having a four-star game. But again, I just think that um, like he should be seeing more minutes now in especially in that in that sixth role that that Peter Romani has who I understand is the captain but you know we need to see some options there and I think we're getting a good look at that uh, as to you know what that looks like um but yeah no I I, I do think that there's lots to like about the the young fellas coming through there like not that Ryan Baird is a young fella but 
you know, he had a good game anyway. Jack Conan, uh, he was okay. Like, I, like, I felt he was better against um, against Italy. Um, lost a few collisions here in this one because he came on in the in a role where he was going to be more of a primary carrier. Um, which again, I, I, I think actually the secondary role suited him a little bit better. Um, but yeah, um, three stars. I did, he didn't play poorly by any means. Gibson Park and Crowley gave four stars each. Uh, I thought that Gibson Park had done a really good game. Plays with so much pace. Uh, and deception, um, I think it's one of one of his biggest qualities. Um, Crowley again, I just as I elaborated on there earlier, had a had a really good game for me. Uh, James Lowe didn't sh- had a decent game. Uh, I just felt he could have been involved a little bit more as the game wore on. I I felt that in some regards, uh, Frawley's role switch as the game went on kind of took Lowe out of the game a small bit. Um, but you know, I'll 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 explain that in the article coming next week. Um, in midfield, Bundyaki four star game for me. Thought he did really well. Robbie Henshaw uh, was okay, quieter than what he had been in, in previous good in games. But um, yeah, good performance from him. Like himself and Bundyaki, I think are actually a really good midfield partner. But they, I know they're a really good midfield partnership. That was the midfield they had when they won the Pro Twelve back in 2015, 2016. Um, that hasn't changed. They both really suit what the other is really good at. And Ireland, I think, look more solid from an offensive rock work output when Bundyaki is at 12 than they do with any other midfielder. Like, I know it's like that, that Henshaw and Ringroll seem like the, the default pairing for Ireland at 12 and, and 13. Well, well actually, maybe, maybe that's that's an assumption on my part, maybe. But I think that Bundyaki has to start if fit. Uh, and then it's just a case of who do you pair him with and why. Uh, Robbie Henshaw in the last three games has shown that he is actually like properly good in that outside centre spot. That I've said this before that I do think he is a little bit miscast as a 12 at both Leinster and Ireland. Um, but what uh, Robbie Henshaw has shown is that he's really comfortable in, the, in, the, in more open spaces. So I like what I saw from him. Calvin Nash had another really good game. Like, he didn't score a try here. He could have. He had, he had a, a small little opportunity where if he'd been a little bit more selfish, he could have got himself. But he's adding an awful lot to his looping game that we saw at Munster anyway. But one, he's looking stacked. He's looking stacked up at the moment. Like, he's, he's looking in fantastic shape. And he's playing bigger. So he's winning those tight collisions. His speed is look, looking really, really good as well. But he's showing a lot of comfort coming in as a like at pace first receiver where he's comfortable running onto the ball from deep and then giving away like the pass he gave to uh, was it to James Lowe for his try I, I, like all that was was uh, uh, Calvin Nash just the pace the the line he ran the ability to get his, get his hands free really good performance from him he's looking into a bit of a breakout season here on the wing where look Mac Hansen will be a fellow who'd be a favorite to come back in but Calvin Nash is making it as difficult as humanly possible for any fella to just walk back into that team. He's been playing really, really well. Uh, for Ollie, I gave three stars. I think he played poorly by any means, but I just felt that his um, his role flux, I think, hurt Ireland's attacking flow more than it helped it. Um, on the bench, Murray and McCluskey both did did really well off the bench. As a six-two split in general, I think it did. I think it did okay. I think Ireland understood that. Uh, Wales were going to try and keep this game in flow as much as possible uh, to try and up the ball and play. I think our 6-2 split was a bit of a reaction to that. In a way, it, it worked. We scored a try right at the end where uh, Ty Byrne obviously dotted it down, but 
the work for Ireland identifying the tired tight five forwards in that Welsh team after what 43 minutes ball in play was just really really sharp really good that's the kind of stuff that you would expect from a, a team like Ireland who are playing like a, a Grand Slam team now and like that that's got to be the aim um I think going to got to be the aim as if it's not like obviously Ireland want to win a Grand Slam at this stage but I think looking at going away to Twickenham that is a bit of a banana peel game to be honest doesn't don't mean, don't mean that as disrespectful to England who are a good side I think better than what they showed against Scotland last time out but this Irish team are playing a really good effective style of rugby that seems really sustainable with the team that, that are currently there there's active competition for a lot of different spots um the tight head um 18 jersey is getting really hot for example which is what you want i still think that there's there's no natural successor at um at loose head prop keen healy is still obviously the i'd be surprised if he didn't play on for another year actually um hooker is really good although i don't think there's an active competition there but there is there is good depth um nash is making it very difficult for mac hansen to come straight back in uh fullback uh, there's no role competition for hugo keenan but like again, there's there's guys there who are who are competent players at that level. There's lots to like about where Ireland are at at the moment, and um, you know, going away to England will be will be difficult. I think actually, if we end up winning that game with a bonus point, which is not unheard of, um, wouldn't certainly wouldn't be out of out of character for this team at the moment. We'd have won the the Six Nations with a game to go, which is remarkable when you think about it. Um, especially when you consider how badly France have done trying to replace uh, Dupont and Antemac. Like Dupont in particular, I think, has been just the biggest losses. Like it's he, he was the heart of that team and when you took it out, they have like they look so much worse. As you do when you remove the heart from a thing. That's a very serial killer kind of stuff thing I said there. Not that I would know. Um but yeah, it, it like they look like a, a, a profoundly worse off team than what they were with Antoine Dupont, uh, Antoine Dupont and their team. And I, I honestly, I thought that it would look the same for Ireland, where they'd give Jack Crowley a go, but that you couldn't expect things to just click immediately, but they have. And like you could say, look, France are a flawed team. Italy are also a flawed team. Wales are currently a flawed team, as are England. Um, so that you, you I mean, you, you could easily say that it is a, a weaker Six Nations this year. And I, th- I think there's a bit of merit in that argument. But you can only beat who's put in front of you, first of all. And there's much tougher games coming for this team in the summer and in November. Um, so this team will get will get certainly road tested. It won't always look this easy, I think, as other teams build in experience and get more get more reps into their guys. But for the moment, just enjoy it. Um, like Wales will be back. Wales will be a, a much tougher team going forward next couple of years. Um, as somebody who grew up in the 90s with Ireland looking absolutely rubbish, seeing Ireland playing like this in the Six Nations and... and looking like the champions-elect already, like, again, we're not used to this. So that's why whenever I see a bit of hubris in the press about, like, how we invented fucking good-looking rugby and all this other kind of stuff, I was there in the 90s. (laughs) I saw what we were at. (laughs) But that's kind of, that's uh, neither here nor there. You can't get tied up too much in what the press think or don't think or whatever else. What is objective is that Ireland are playing really, really well right now our favourites for a Grand Slam hot favourites for a Grand Slam I'd be shocked if they didn't at this stage um, and you can only really beat what's put in front of you in this case Wales underperformed gutsy good defence 
Um, Ireland, too good. And uh, that has been the case in the last three games now. So we'll see if it sticks around for the fourth. Um, I will have a TRK mailbag out later on today, as well as a, um, a Blood Thunder podcast for the Zebra game. Um, I'll also be doing a live stream from um, Virgin Media Park. I almost called it Mosby Park? That, that is not the brand name of the stadium. Um, I will be doing a live stream there ahead of the game and after the game. So, um, if you have any questions you'd like to send in for uh, the live stream uh, ahead of that Monster Zebra game, just send them in to GoFuryGames.com. Um, and I will be back with uh, this, the, the podcast. Just keep coming now as I get through my backlog. Th- this is not my proper mic yet, so it might s- s- not, not sound like normal. But for getting the podcast out, that's the main thing. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon.